Hello and welcome to Series 6 of the Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries. We hope this podcast can bless you in your day-to-day life as you listen to a range of testimonies about God's faithfulness within the lives of so many. The views expressed in this podcast don't necessarily reflect that of Preset Ministries UK. But without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I'm really delighted to be welcoming uh, David Bennett to the program today. Uh, David, lovely to see you. Thank you so much. David grew up in Sydney, Australia, uh, and he went to an Anglican school graduating in 2006. He would say that he was attracted to other boys from the age of 14 and so had issues with Christianity because he felt that if he was to become a Christian, he could not act on his romantic inclinations. He became a gay rights activist in Australia. Uh, Then one day he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus, which led him to become a Christian. Since then, he has been on a journey of discovery, a journey of faith, which at times has been very painful. Uh, Today he's based at the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, which is where we're doing this podcast from. And he speaks widely across the UK, and I'm probably sure overseas as well, at conferences, on the radio, television, in many different contexts and on a wide range of subjects he loves cooking he loves french man after my own heart uh politics apologetics evangelism and preaching uh not not so keen on sport uh preferring to be rather than to do but recognizing that both are necessary david it is wonderful to have you on the program today it's a pleasure thanks for having me so tell us uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing yes yeah, so i grew up in sydney australia which at that time when I was 14, was a lovely place to live. (laughs) Um, But it was also a place where the conversation about sexuality and identity was really getting to a fever pitch. And as a young person that was largely just, you know, attending school and living with my family and everything, it was always a kind of background noise that I start to tune into and that would make me kind of face my own experiences as a young young adolescent and then growing up into to be a man and uh, you know that was really difficult in a way because I was going to a school which hadn't processed that question very deeply had kind of pushed it down because it's you know that was just kind of associated with fear yeah so then I think mm. I associated my own homosexuality with that mm. but obviously my life wasn't just about that that no. was like one aspect which definitely impacted things but you know I was a very curious young teenager had a deep spiritual thirst for meaning and big questions of life uh you know intense hobbies in the sciences and biology and like you know had animals and had an aviary with birds you know it's very kind of bizarre child really my mother (laughs) brothers sisters yeah brothers brother yeah yeah um, yeah, and he was the sporty one, I was the academic one. So, <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, I loved my childhood. I loved growing up in Sydney. But I think there was just always that hanging over my head. Mm. Um, and I think God knew, you know, sovereignly kind of also was there at ordering my steps and knew that this was all part of the story he was crafting. So. Yeah. I mean, when did you first recognize an attraction to other boys and, and, and how did your family react to that? Yeah, so I think <laughs> it was when I uh, actually watched the movie Aladdin. I had this, about the age of eight, had this strange obsession with Aladdin. <laughs> and uh, it, it just, 
it seemed a little bit much, and I remember kind of having these kind of not a crush on Aladdin, but something wasn't quite normal about it. And then when I hit puberty at like the age of twelve, you know, that's when I really became aware of like I'm attracted to men's bodies. Why is that the case? Yeah. And then people would say, "Oh, well, it's just a phase. You're just going to like go through it, and then mm. you probably." out the other end perfectly normal you know Uh, none of that happened and I so as I went on it was like more and more pressure to come out and deal with it and not just have it in the dark Mm. Um, and Mm. yeah I just remember having memories of like being at the swimming pool and just being like really you know confronted with that yeah 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 yeah. and just being like this will not go away yeah Yeah, and um I remember at the start of my book, you know, opening scene, I asked God, how do you want me to start my book? And he said, well, I want you to start with when you had suicidal thoughts. I thought, Lord, that's a bit much, you know, yeah. but that's what he wanted. He said, I want people to feel that, you know, in your story. I want them to know what that's like because that's important to me. And, and, and those suicidal thoughts were thoughts that you had, what, as a teenager? Well, they? yeah, I just remember being kind of, when we first moved to the harbourside in Sydney and... I was kind of standing on this cliff face and I just remember saying I'd really like to jump off that, you know. Ooh. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I kind of like, and I ran back home and I was completely freaked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I never had a thought like that. Hmm. And I'm not a particularly like, that's not natural to me. Yeah. I'm not a kind of like super melancholic person. <laughs> I like to be more sanguine and, you know. So that really shocked me and it, made, it for, kind of forced me to come out and so I had a girlfriend at the time who'd actually asked me like why do you ever want to kiss me or my hand and whatever and uh, <laughs> I'm actually attracted to the same sex and she was like oh and I told her about what had happened and she said you just you have to come out you have to be real about this hmm. to tell your parents like you can't so I did and I came out at the age of 14 which was quite young to and what, come out and what, and what was the, your parents reaction to, uh, to that so for my father, it was, oh yeah, well, I work for IBM, so diversity, quality, you know, great. But dad wasn't a Christian, mum wasn't a Christian. For mum, I think it was more the existential empathy, you know, of a mother. Of course. Of like, this is so hard. Oh gosh, now he's going to have to deal with mm. all that background noise. That's really hard. And mm. never, he's going to have to try to navigate, you know, life with this difference, which will just make things harder yeah, yeah, yeah. for him and I think so my mum was quite sad initially but then not because she was particularly like homophobic or anything but just because she knew what that meant yeah yeah, yeah. the implications of that down yeah. the line yeah, and yeah. I don't think we often when we talk about the question of sexuality or being gay we don't you know realise that for a parent it's actually quite hard mm. because mm. you to send your child into a world that hasn't really done this well yeah, yeah. the church or secular society so yeah 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 and how how did you what motivated you later on in your teens to become a gay rights activist and what was it that took you from mm. recognizing that to getting out on the streets or, or whatever you know however that manifested itself so for me it really started with the reaction of my school to me coming out, I think they did pretty well within their own frame, but I just felt really like I couldn't belong at school. And I, 
it, there was always this kind of live sense of, you know, my brother got bullied because I came out and, and that kind of stuff. And then also when I, um, I had a boyfriend and, you know, we went to a park one day and he gave me this amber cross from his kind of baptism as an orthodox, Russian orthodox believer, um, although I think he was kind of losing his faith, weirdly gave me the cross um, as a gift in the park. And I just remember having that cross, and then we, he kissed me as I kind of protested and said, well, why would you give me a symbol of our oppression as gay people? Like, Christianity is you know, what is destroying our freedom. Like, how can we, how, why would you give me a cross? Yeah. And he just said, how like, be quiet and kiss me or something. And then a man pulled up on a motorbike and kind of threw a large stone against my back when we were kissing. Like, at, in that moment, it was just very... Hmm. And I used to think that that cross was the source of that homophobia. And I remember also being, like, spat on once when we were holding hand, hands in the city by a businessman. Like, just, like, blatant yeah. homophobia. And I thought, yeah, that cross is the source of that. But I don't think hmm. I realised at that age that actually I think God was saying to me and I put this on the cover of my book this little Amber Cross yeah. saying to me you know, I took those stones I took that hatred on the cross for you, you know, yeah. I know yeah, what yeah. that's like yeah, because yeah. I was the son of God and so I was never able to see that because of the law of sin and death and I think mm. gay rights activism of the secular atheist kind is often under the law of sin and death um and isn't the kind of activism that leads to gay people really having freedom to choose to follow Christ or not. Mm. And I think that's where I want to reframe it. It's almost like I still believe in a kind of activism related to this question. It's yes. like I'm not a gay activist in some yeah, yeah, yeah. more qualified sense. Yes. The kingdom and respect scripture. But, yeah, I went in that very much more fleshly line. Of yes. The, you know... That, that could not see God's love mm. and that was under the law of sin and death mm. yeah mm. now you battled for a long time um, sorry I was just um, going on from that sorry how did you how did you go from being in that place to becoming a follower of Christ because you know I mean how did that happen <laughs> so I remember the age of 15 um, going to a psychic and still having this spiritual thirst but because of my sexuality I thought oh I'm not going to search for that in Christianity or any Abrahamic faith really um, although I was a reformed Jew for a week uh, <laughs> so yeah I tried uh, <laughs> and then I um, but I, I just remember also like kind of adopting these kind of progressive or liberal Christian or Jewish kind of faith steps like where I was like oh well I'll go to a gay church and check it out with my mum or you know, I just remember being not satisfied. It felt like it wasn't real. Hmm. And it was just kind of like a hobby or a kind of construct that people enjoyed, but there wasn't anything real in it. Hmm. So that actually increased my atheism because I thought, well, you know, there's nothing there. This is just, this is just, you know, an action on a Sunday that makes people feel good about themselves. This isn't, there's nothing to actually encounter here. So then I kind of went into yes, new age spirituality and then ended up at this psychic. And at that stage in my very fast, you know, fad, uh, adopting fads, uh, 
I had gone from like a Wiccan witch to a French existentialist. <laughs> sort of rather large jump. And uh, really started to kind of butt up against nihilism. Like the idea that there's just nothing. And it's all absurd. And who even cares anyway? And I've just got to construct my own meaning. And that's it. Um, and I remember the image of Sisyphus. Like this, this uh, Greek kind of myth where Sisyphus is punished by the gods. and has to push this boulder up a mountain and then eventually you get to the peak and the boulder just rolls all the way back down again. Um, and I think that's a lot of what modern spirituality is like without obviously God. Like, it's just this futile exercise. And I, so I got to that point and I was at this psychic and, uh, and she read my tarot cards and said a whole bunch of stuff that was super inaccurate. <laughs> I'm being really dissatisfied with the reading. And then she said to me, but that she turned one card over and she started kind of you know, almost like prophesying, you know, and saying, um, you're a child of the light, you're destined to be with Jesus, the greatest mediator in the spiritual realms, you know, um, you're, yeah, you're a child of the light, you're chosen, you're amazed that, wow, I've never had a reading like this, and I was just kind of shocked, but I, in myself, I was like, well, I'm a gay activist, like, who does she think she is, like, I would never become a Christian, so I was, I said, I can, get, can I have my $20 back and kind of storm down the <laughs> reading, just like, and my feminist kind of French theory studying friend, 15-year-old, you know, is waiting for me at the cafe around the corner, and I told her, you know, she said, I'm going to be a Christian, and she said, and I, she said, well, maybe you will, and I said, well, no, mark my words, I will never become a Christian, so there was this kind of tug of war that started to happen and this kind of sense of God's presence in my life but having to kind of suppress that and to get away from it because it's spelled rejection I think this is what I want Christians to understand more about the gay community is the gay community has been driven by self-rejection for so long and a lot of that rejection has actually been increased by the Christian community and I think right at the heart of the sin in the Bible isn't actually just rebellion from God I think we've overemphasized that what really is at the heart of sin is self-rejection. It's saying to God, you could never love me, so I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to go your way because I don't trust you. Because I, I don't trust my, and I can't see that myself is ever going to be lo- lovable by you. And I actually think that's most people. I don't think, like there are some people obviously who are just completely against God mm. and hard-nosed, you know. Mm. But I think the state of being under God's wrath you know, under is actually a state of lovelessness where you actually can't see yourself loved. Mm. That's the worst there is. Like to mm. me, that is what hell is like. It's being unable to love, but unable to receive love. Mm. Um, and so, the miracle of the gospel for me is to be made able to love, to be made able to receive God's love. I think that's why Paul prays. You know, that you would be given all strength in your inner man to know how high, how wide, how deep is the love mm. of God mm. in Christ Jesus, because that is really the heart of what this is all about, our whole existence, you know. But I think it took these kinds of experiences for me to then realize when I did meet Christ, you know, that was what it was all about, <laughs> and that he had always been there, you know, in that little amber cross, in the, when I was going to the witch vendor for my 
prophecy, you know. <laughs> he was there, he was speaking, and he was alive, but I couldn't see it because I was dead. And you had, and, I mean, you mentioned your book, and your book is an incredible book, and it's called A War of Loves, isn't it? Uh, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. I really recommend that you get it, um, those listening. Um, but you talk about this encounter with a with a, um, a uni friend um, yes. who was into who who just won some award for this uh, mini film or, or yes. project that she'd done. Yes, so <clears throat> I kind of go through all of these vicissitudes of life, and I end up at you know university doing communications double communications degree, very much in like left left of the Labour Party. <laughs> um, uh, with all the atheists, you know, and but having this constant sense like that this isn't going to work, constant sense I don't believe this, like, and having deep doubts about politics, deep doubts about life, you know, relationships, um, so the secular ideal of romantic love, like, it just didn't, it wasn't working for me, but I had nothing else, so, you know, just kept living that way, and... There was, um, yes, this filmmaker who'd got her film into the largest short film competition in the world. She was going to my university, was, was an alumna of my university. And I was in a pub in Central Sydney, in Surrey Hills, which is right near the gay quarter, Oxford Street. And um, I just felt compelled to go to this pub. I had all these other parties going on. Um, and I'd actually had a debate with my uncle three months before this about God. Um, and he'd had a prophetic word that I would be saved in three months' time. So that was actually three months after I had this debate with him. So it was March 2009 and I'd had the debate with him in March 2008. So already my salvation had kind of been prophesied or there'd been a word from the Lord about it, which is amazing. And we all know that the word of God does not return void. <laughs> so there I am in this pub, uh, kind of asking myself why I'm here. And the, there's this girl, you know, and I instantly want to get an interview for the student publication that I was running with her. And that this would be this amazing feature article. So mm. I approached her and she said, you know, it, it's actually God that led me to this. I was going to put it into the Sundance film competitions and all these other ones. And if I did, I would never have gotten to this point. But it was God who told me not to. And I was just amazed. Like, and... She was the kind of person I was never expecting her to talk about God. I mean, she was like me. She was doing the degree I was, you know, she was in the circles I was in. Like, how could she be a Christian? Like, they're bigots. You know, they, I associate them with school. Like, no, I don't want anything to do with her kind of religion. But, yeah, I like her, you know. And so she asked me, you know, what do you think of Jesus? And I said, well, no, I think he's a great man. But, you know, it's just human-invented religion, and I'm gay and everything. She said, oh, yeah, that must be really hard. I don't know what that's like. But I do know this, that if you haven't experienced the love of God, you can't really understand who you are. And, you know, um, I don't usually do this, but could, could I pray for you, you know? Um, so this is in a pub yeah. in central Sydney. Yeah, asking you she to just says this to me in the middle of kind of like polite, you know, the middle of a party in the pub, a raucous pub, you know, it's loud and and um, and so I said, well, you know, look, I'm a good agnostic, so I'm open to prayer, but I really don't think anything's going to happen. So good luck, like, you know. So she just prays for me, and she's going to this Pentecostal church, which turns out to be the 
same church that my mum had recently been converted to at Ass and uh, my aunt and my uncle went to. So there was this whole kind of divine conspiracy <laughs> happening. <laughs> and so she, she proceeded to pray for me very loudly and very, like, with authority. Uh, and I'd never heard someone pray like this before. It was, and I loved it. Like, I was like, oh, it's so spiritual, you know. So my inner, like, postmodern loved the kind of Pentecostal style of the way she talked about God and the way it was just so clear and easy wasn't this big hard thing it's just receiving a gift like that's what it was like you know and so she kept praying for me and then I just felt this sensation like kind of oil on the top of my head someone pouring like a vial of oil on top of my head and this voice saying do you want me and you know I'd done Buddhist meditation I'd tried it all out I'd never heard a voice like that outside of my consciousness speaking to me yeah, and I, I was quite sensitive to the idea of wish fulfillment. Like, you know, I was really questioning that after I had the experience, but I really don't think it, that was in any way wish fulfillment. It was really the Lord speaking to me hmm. and said three times I heard, do you want me? And then I saw this veil over my heart and this pinprick of light kind of come straight in and just this breath fill me. And it says in 2 Corinthians, like, they do not understand because the God of this age has blinded them. But when the veil is taken away, you know, like, the, the veil is pierced. There is, you know, freedom, spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I didn't understand. And I think that's what people don't understand. <laughs> As Christians, is you understand because God has pierced that veil. God has come through into you and dwells within you. But that's not the case for the world. They don't understand. Yeah. And we haven't had compassion for that. But this girl did. This girl really understood. Like, mm. David doesn't understand. He needs an encounter with the love of God. Mm. And then he'll understand. And just the simplicity of that. You know, I, even today, I'm like, the Church of England, I mean, all these churches are having these synods. And it's all about, like, this complicated political doctrinal stuff. And for me, it was just, I had an encounter with the love of God, and it changed me. And it changed the meaning of my desires. You know, I couldn't go look back at my sexuality in the same way. I was changed. So I heard this voice, felt this breath enter me. She told me I was being born again. And then hmm. she kept praying for me. And um, I heard this voice say, "Do you, uh, will you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And that's when I really felt this kind of tug of war. And it's the reason I called the book A War of Loves. Because it was like I had two loves like that I was choosing between. It was like, would I trust God and love him or would I trust this other voice and love that um, and of course I was like well I'm going to go with what I feel is light like why would I go with darkness that doesn't make any sense you know, <laughs> to go with darkness and so I chose the light um, and I just remember this like love being poured out on me and just like weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping and it was so funny as a way of crying of kind of affectivity that was very different to sadness. It was like a healing, a release. And I don't think there's any other place but the presence of God that you can undergo that kind of healing. I don't think you can go to counselling or psychology or as much as there's really good things in that. There is something unique about <clears throat> what the Lord does to the human heart but mm. in conversion, mm. in regeneration. It... It was just amazing. So I went home <clears throat> completely gobsmacked with what had happened. 
and my mum was waiting up, having heard about this word, um, and was praying into it, and I'd had a really quite strident debate with her as well, and said, you know, if you're going to follow this God, then you can't, you can't have a relationship with me, so make your choice. I'm a real gay person sitting in front of you, and this delusion in your head is, like, seriously homophobic, so, like, make your choice. And she said to me, I don't have to make that choice. She said, I actually, by loving God, I love you better. And I actually think today, for a lot of Bible-believing Christians, they're being told, I have to make that choice, and that's just wrong. And that was the choice I thought my mother had to make, and that I felt now the world is actually saying to me, even as a celibate gay Christian, you have to choose between us or your faith, between your sexuality and your faith. I think that's a false choice. I think, you know, and that's what my story was also about. Mm -hmm. And so I come home and tell her, you know, well, I think I've become a Christian. And she just kind of prays laps around the house. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. I made a covenant with God that if he saved you, I'd know he's the God of the impossible because, you know, David, you're impossible to save. (laughs) He's done it. Ah." And I'm like, what, you knew about this? And, you know, I was absolutely amazed. Mum already knew through the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, that I would be saved around that time. It was just incredible. So that's how I became Christian. Yeah, um, incredible. And, and it, you know, there's a lot more to say. Of course. Reading the book. But yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely in- incredible. I mean, just, uh, you know, well done that young lady, is what I say, you know, to be, to be A, sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and then to actually do it, you know, and to pray the prayer. And, and for, you know, it's like a like a, com- a coming together of, of, of yeah. and at that moment, you know, God reveals Himself to you in a very special way. And and I think that's a it's a challenge for all of us, really, to to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That no one, no one, whatever they have done, is beyond God's love and redemption. And you know, uh, those verses in Peter that He doesn't want anybody not to be saved and, and he's always reaching out and I think yeah so good on her <laughs> also I think the thing that was remarkable about her is how much she really loved gay people like that was what shocked me is it was like very natural was like oh yeah of course love gay people like it wasn't even a question for her yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yet she was faithful to God mm, and that, mm, I just mm, never mm, seen mm, that combination mm, and mm. I think that's what I'm praying for yeah. for today's church that yeah. we can see more of that kind of yeah. thing Fantastic. Now you battled um, for some time with your newfound faith and you prayed, you prayed for help and God answered with a book, I understand, that you were given for your birthday. Mm -hmm. What was that book and why was it important in your journey? So I had this Sydney Anglican friend, obviously I didn't like the Sydney Anglicans (laughs) because they were so dry and Bible, you know, like I'd grown up with that at school and... There wasn't much spirituality for me about that. But I'd experienced the Holy Spirit. I knew Jesus. I was born again. But then I was like, well, I need to understand the Bible. (laughs) Uh, So I ended up befriending this guy called Josh at my university who was very much, you know, knew the Bible back to front. And we met up in cafes and talked about the Puritans and the Bible. and, um, And so there was... He had actually had this sense from God to send me the book in Strasbourg, France, about two or three years later when I was really, this question was coming to a head. Because I kind of parked it and said, well, I know God. I want to 
go deep into this and I want to give my life to my faith but I don't feel resolved yet on how that's going to work out my sexuality so that all came to a front in that book Washed and Waiting um, Reflections on Christian Faithfulness and Homosexuality by Wesley, Wesley Hill um, yeah, came to me on my birthday which was amazing and I'd actually prayed to God I need an answer on this question like I'm in France I'm in a romantic place I'm going to go find a boyfriend so if you're like you better like show up or I just like want to you know enjoy this experience all my friends are going out and having romances why can't I like you know there was that sense of pressure and so this book came I read it and it was just absolutely so perfectly what I needed and God answered and you know was faithful to what I heard him say and I said well what are you asking from me and he said I just need you to give me your homosexuality like I need you to relinquish it as if like you could live without it and I'd gotten to the point where I was like well Jesus you've given me your body on the cross you know Paul says your, your body's been bought at a price you know, honour God with your bodies in other words give God anything that he wants of you including your physical self so there was a real sense of like I need to give all of myself back to God mm. you know and I said well yeah you can have my homosexuality you can have my money like anything you want really it's yours <laughs> like there, there, there is no uh, negotiation here like you have bought me like you have died for me so you can have it and we all have that kind of like Tolkien precious you know thing that we want to turn to for instead of God and we all struggle with that but I think because of that sense of faithfulness of God and answering my prayers mm -hmm. it unlocked faith in me to give give my sexuality to God so yeah there was a very profound encounter with God in that where I felt him fill my body with resurrection power and there was some kind of shift when I'd relinquished that where I wouldn't say that like I was straight away like I'm going to be celibate yeah, yeah. but suddenly celibacy was an option whereas before it was really seen as a form of oppression mm. or repression that was damaging mm. now uh, what what is it about God what is it about Jesus that has helped you to live as a celibate gay Christian so I I think that celibacy is supernatural I think that naturally we are inclined towards romantic relationships and sometimes that can manifest in me as a kind of form of, of moments where I feel like I get a little bit bitter about the church and marriage and everyone's always talking about marriage and, and I just had to learn to have grace for people who aren't living in that supernatural reality with their sexuality but are Christians and there's a lot of them but I feel like there's some sanctifying work that we're missing about our sexuality about our desires and that's obviously what I'm you know studying in my PhD at Oxford uh, where actually suddenly the meaning of those desires changes in the light of Christ and so I think there's something about the fact Jesus was celibate the fact he was a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of God and he understood that it was really hard for people to get that he says you know for those who can understand it let them understand it or bear it so he understands that mm. being a eunuch is actually really counterintuitive to mm. God is almost yeah. originally created us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet the paradox is that in the future we're all going to be eunuchs for sleeping in heaven in a sense. We're not going to procreate. We're not going to get married. We're going to be in this kind of ecstatic, beautiful 
new creation where everyone will have perfect pop with each other mm. and love will be properly universal there'll be no chopping it up into friendship and romance and <laughs> you know marriage and this you know male nor female gene of Greek state nor free and so there's going to be that universalizing effect of because love will fully take its effect mm. in our resurrected bodies mm. so I it's a mystery but that's really what celibacy is about now for me is practicing that future reality on earth yeah and that's a beautiful mm. thing mm. Uh, but it's very hard for people who aren't Christians to understand that. yeah 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 uh, and you know I'm even facing situations in my ministry where people just think that I am kind of this repressive mm. character that mm. hates myself or whatever mm. that, that's what my celibacy is actually about is yeah. that beautiful future yeah. reality that's that, coming in the kingdom that is a wonderful wonderful thing mm. That really is a wonderful, wonderful thing. No wonder you're being asked to speak all over the place about this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Now, learning and studying seems to be your thing. Yes. Uh, you've got a number of theological, pastoral qualifications, ranging from certificates to PhDs. You've even been tutored by Bishop N.T. Wright. Yes. I mean, what's it like studying under N.T. Wright, for goodness <laughs> sake? Yeah, so... You may, you know, for those that may not know who Bishop N.T. Wright well, is... Speaking of the Bible, I think... The thing that I love is that academia, whilst it also shakes your faith, it also makes your faith. And I think in order to get a deeper faith, we sometimes let our faith be shaken by other opinions and other ways of thinking. And that when we're patient with God and trust him in academia, then we find this amazing gold that then becomes part of almost the deposit within us so that when we're faced with questions and we're faced with problems and sufferings and difficulties and mysteries we're able to navigate them in a way that works with life and I think that's what I love about academia it's helped me do that with obviously the question of my sexuality but much more broadly and being tutored by N.T. Wright the thing I think that marks him and both annoys people and you know people love is that he really is wanting the text to be itself. He is doggedly committed to the Bible being communicated properly and for the traditions of man not to kind of shift that lens. Now, the problem with that is, of course, N.T. has his own tradition (laughs) and N.T. has his own academic kind of um, school that he's part of in the new perspective on Paul. And so I think, though, even in that, what I love is that just constant, the Bible must speak, the Bible must speak over the ways we've understood the gospel and correct them and make the gospel even more clear. Now, I think that's an, that not something that just anti right can do or I can do, but we all make a contribution in scholarship and his has been that and mine will be something different. But I just love that belief we share in going deeper and letting the text be the text or seeing the text in a new way that might actually help us to understand Paul or Jesus better and mm. therefore be better in more faithful And so I just, I love that. I love, have loved having that in my life. And even with the book, you know, I was looking for someone to write the forward and obviously my experience doesn't fit well into some of the um, Occam's Erasers or stereotypes people want or things they want to hear exactly. So I needed a foreword from someone who had authority, but who also knew 
what it was like to go through that. And so there was this really beautiful relationship. We were just eat, eating pizza, and I said, I'm writing this book, and he said, oh, he sent it to me, and then before it just happened. And so it was a really amazing <laughs> gift to God. Yeah. Just to kind of like, how on earth... You know, I didn't do the course to go and be with N.T. Wright in that way. No. I just did a course, and he happened to be mm. the exegetical... Yeah, yeah. No, no, amazing. Yeah. I mean, I love what you said about going, you know let the bible speak you know let the bible speak and uh you know obviously as a ministry uh that's our heart too to let the bible speak and and uh, and i think people maybe people struggle with allowing that to happen and um if you're listening to this and you may not you may not have the opportunity to be tutored by bishop nt wright <laughs> um but you really do want to dig deeper, as David's talking about. Uh, please contact us as a ministry. We would love to uh, walk a journey with you of discovery. It is a journey of discovery. And um, lots of people have done that. And uh, grown in their understanding of who Christ is and their faith. So, so please get in touch. Now, um, what is it about um, learning you love so much? Yeah, I think what I love about learning is, so the scripture saying Proverbs, get with, uh, get knowledge. Yeah. And I think the first step in growth as a human being, and also in worship of God, is to get knowledge. It's just to go and find out about things, explore the world, enjoy the world. Mm. Uh, you know, academic study and learning is part of that mm. process. Mm. And I think once you get knowledge you then need to find wisdom and that's a whole other ne- next step so it's for like academia is the is one space where it's not always like the only space but academia is one space where you can go from getting knowledge to finding wisdom um now obviously it can also be just about getting knowledge and that becoming an idol but when it's stewarded properly with god it's a beautiful thing where you can really add knowledge to wisdom and let knowledge be um, corrected by wisdom. One yeah. very wise person at my Bible college, and that's the funny thing, is I've done all these academic studies, and yet my favorite year was at Bible college, just exploring, just getting knowledge, just being with God. And he said to me, you know, faith without wisdom is not faith at all. And that's always stuck with me. If I've ever felt like, oh, I think this thing about God, I've had this revelation, or I think God might be saying this, but there's not at wisdom added to it then I question it. I don't just, you know, I think a lot of Christians make the mistake of just believing everything they feel that God might be saying or feel the Bible might be saying or feel whatever. And our way out of that is wisdom. You know, and the Bible says, you know, God will never hold back wisdom. He'll always give it to you. Something Mm. that's unlimited supply Mm. because he understands that be just in our knowledge. It's not enough. So I love that tension. I love that about learning. Yeah. adding, wisdom to knowledge so that faith can be built yeah i've heard it said that wisdom is knowledge applied yeah you know yeah and the fear of the lord is that that aspect i think that's vital in all the things we do in life but particularly academic study Mm. because it's a very spiritually contested space yeah yeah, yeah. and it's easy to fear other things it's easy to put other things above god Mm. and make them idols so I think fearing the Lord is always actually the greatest challenge when you go into these, you know, mm. go into any mm. any field, but particularly academic. 
Mm. Now, um, through your past experiences and your exploration of the Christian faith, uh, you have had lots of opportunities uh, to speak to others um, about your journey and, and obviously what's, bec- what's become a hot topic in the church. And I understand last summer you received an invitation from the Archbishop of Canterbury to join him on some um, program. Uh, so give, it, uh, give us an insight into your sort of speaking engagements. You know, what, what um, opportunities the Lord opened up for you? Um, yeah. So <coughs> there, there was an opportunity through the group Living Out, which is really worth looking at. Um, yes. Which is a kind of group of you know, um, Bible-believing gay or same-sex attracted Christians kind of living faithfully mm. um, and so there was a synod discussion about sexuality and they wanted someone kind of from that perspective to come and share their story and why they believe what they do and they wanted someone younger so I was about 28 and it was um, kind of perfect for them so I went and spoke in front of the synod for seven uh, minutes like the Archbishop of Canterbury Archbishop of York everybody was there lay people, priests, you know, um, including people I knew who didn't like me. So it was really Mm. a great opportunity to actually really show people what my story was, what God was saying through it, and how the church needed to listen and actually hear that word. And what was very curious for me was the way that the Archbishop reacted particularly to my story in a very positive way. Um, I can't speak for him but I do know that he very much values the contribution of people like me. Um, and, you know, I felt that from him. And so I was also put on the Archbishop's um, College of Evangelists. And one of the things that he said to me in our conversation is he said, I endorse you as an evangelist. Like, I see that gift in you. And so I think for people who maybe have quite a negative view of the Church of England, God is very much present in it, and it's not perfect, and there is a real battle over the Church of England, mm. but at the end of the day, there, there's a recognition of who Jesus that I've seen in that church, and I think that's why I remain an Anglican, and remain kind of going to my Anglican church mm. here, mm. Um, and that might be helpful for some people listening. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing, and mm. from there, you know, I've been also working with the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. Um, my book has just gone all over America so this kind of global ministry has been birthed but I think for me that, that was they were special moments of just confirmation from the church my church pastor and leader in Australia also prophesied over me and said you know I see your ministry being across the whole body of Christ wherever Christ is believed in not just Pentecostal or Anglican or whatever and so yeah there's wow. there's just a real sense of God is birthing something bigger than me um, and he's putting me as one of the people at the helm of it so mm. Mm. Yeah, exciting isn't that amazing now I'd like to move on to your I mean you, you've quoted all sorts of scriptures here but your love of the word of God um, by recounting what you said when I asked you yeah. uh, before the interview about any struggles in your life and you said um, my struggles probably relate at the moment from having a nuanced position on most things when our culture prefers extremes and fundamentalisms uh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I think that it's, there's always a deeper third radical way 
that is open to us as humans um, when we get information. And we often like to dig our heels in and choose something less profound because it's less threatening or costly or taxing to us. I don't like that. I like to try to go the deeper, to the deeper synthesis. Like, people say, is Jesus a Republican or a Democrat? Or is Jesus, you know, the Conservative Party? Or the, and it's always, you know, no, he's deeper. And no, he actually challenges all of it. And there's something, I resonate with that. I want to be in that position. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think there's real value in being a political person and going mm-hmm. into those parties and serving God in them. But there's something also of the prophetic that ref- almost refuses the whole system and says the kingdom of God is this way and it will not be compromised. Mm. That I have always felt, I think because of my story, yeah. the extremity mm. of where God's taken me from and to, mm. that, um, yeah, mm. I'm yeah. myself unable to just bow <laughs> to some kind of fundamentalism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, wh- why is the word of God so, so important to you? Because it's true. Um, I think for me, the word of God is true. The scriptures are true. The scriptures are trustworthy. The scriptures are historically trustworthy. The scriptures are um, personally trustworthy. Uh, They've proven themselves over time to me at a very high level of academic study uh, in my personal life. Um, And also the witness of the Holy Spirit to their truth. Um, Actually knowing that it's not just the kind of oh, I know it's true in my head as a concept, but I physically know it's true, like, in my body. I remember times in my life where I used to actually salivate when we talk about reading the Bible. Like, I literally was like, we're going to eat a meal. Like, that's how I would think about it. I haven't always had that. (laughs) But there have been times, ebbs and flows in my life where, for me, the Bible is just this incredible, inspired text where I meet God in such a rich way. Um... And one of the things I find difficult about being human in this world is how easy it is to be distracted from scripture because it's a story that isn't exactly immediate in your concerns and life. And there's always this struggle to let it speak, let God speak to you through it. The other reason I love scripture is I see it almost as like when Jesus took on human form and the the Logos was made flesh, I feel like when God chooses to speak, he kind of takes on this textual flesh, you know, that, that here is this word, this scripture, this, you know, very human text, and yet it's very divine, you know, in its inspiration. So there's something of the word being made flesh that's reflected in how the scripture is. Mm. And I, I don't, for me with scripture, I, I used to be always a worried, oh, well, you know, there's different numbers of chariots in 1 Samuel and you know, <laughs> Chronicles and that's the same event and how can there be different you know, numbers of chariots and this is a historical you know I, I, that's just not how I think about scripture anymore you know, for me scripture is almost like a sacramental experience uh, that, that brings me into the presence of God and it's a human text it's a reliable text but it's human, mm. and if it wasn't, I don't think I could tr- trust it. Mm. I think when I think of things like the Quran or other holy texts, it's always like this very uh, cardboard way of understanding. Like God wrote it; it's perfect. You can't like almost touch it. You just have to like speak it out of your mouth and revise it. And 
of course I think there's a value to that with the Bible but it's deeper like the Bible we have is more beautiful more human and yet more divine than that mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. I believe that more mm-hmm. um, than I do any of those other mm-hmm. books yeah. so that's where I think I've come to with the Bible and um, actually for me liturgy and reading the common book of prayer as a kind of budding Anglican has been helpful for me because I don't always know what to read in the Bible and so I don't know whatever it might be if there's something that just brings you the Bible every day it doesn't have to be the common book of prayer but that's really important to you having a structure that upholds you in your Bible reading Amen Yeah um, No absolutely I'm into that um, Do you have a favourite character or book in the Bible? <sighs> I always kind of shift my favourites, like, I'm never fully, but I think the one character for me, sounds a bit narcissistic, <laughs> my namesake, but I really love King David, <laughs> I just love how crazy he is in worship, and how he just kills, like, just, like, all these lambs are just going under the slaughter, and all the liars are being, you know, and all the musicians are, you know, going for it with the return of the... Ark of the Covenant and just that like sense in his heart of joy that God's presence has returned I really identify with that that's kind of like how I am in the church I don't really care about anything else like all I care about is that his presence is here mm. and that it's real mm. and because I know that that solved my life that solved my problems is that that presence has been real and mm. God has really returned mm. And that, for me, is everything. So I think that's why King David, for me, is, like, number one. Yeah, I yeah. just love it. I mean, yeah. obviously Jesus, but the aspect of how Jesus is revealed through David... He's is, very human, isn't he? Yeah. And, you know, his worship, as you say, and he, he's a talented guy. I mean, you know, he's a warrior, he's a, he's a musician, he's a he he's a shepherd, he's a king, he's a... You know, what isn't he? <laughs> and the thing I love is his desires are a bit all over the place, and that God loves it. Because his number one desire is God. Yeah, yeah. That's very encouraging, I think, for all of us. Wonderful. (laughs) What about a favourite Bible verse? I... I think... uh, Well, I'm going to give one that might not be my favourite ever. Mm -hmm. But one that has helped me as an evangelist to the gay community the most was Isaiah 56, um, which says... To the eunuchs who obey my commands and live according... Let not the eunuchs say I'm a dried up tree, but to the eunuchs who obey my commands and live according to my um, my Sabbaths, I will give within my house and its walls a name and memorial that shall not be cut off, an everlasting name um, that is better than sons and daughters. And I think for me that wow, verse wow. is almost like about Jesus, <laughs> more than it is even about being celibate. It's about the fact that Jesus on the cross received a name that's better than having kids. He actually became the progenitor of all the sons and daughters of God. Mm. And mm. that somehow in me walking in that step, in his footsteps mm-hmm. and following him in that particular way, I'm yep. able to participate in that incredible name, um, his name, you know, um, in, a, in a special way mm. where I don't have to worry about not having kids, mm. you know, having mm. sons and daughters, mm. I think somehow be part of that bigger that's, story that's amazing and obviously i think having physical sons and daughters is a way of doing that and it's blessed and beautiful but 
there's also another way of serving that means yeah. that's uh, not necessary. So spiritual sons and daughters. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Amen. So I yeah. think for me awesome. that passage and it was written six hundred years. Before yeah, yeah. Came, yeah, 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 yeah. So I love it. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, two last questions, if I may. How how as Christians can we support? Um, gay people you know in practical ways and secondly what's next for David Bennett <laughs> so I think one of the things I'm always conscious about as Christians will come away from my podcast thinking well every gay person simply just needs to be celibate but I think that's what David's saying because everyone's looking for that like end point and I would say kind of try to resist that I think God will call a lot of gay people probably more gay people to celibacy than straight but because it's harder when you're gay to access marriage between a man and a woman. I mean, there are some gay people who end up the same sex attractive, whatever word you want to use, ends up in what's called a mixed orientation marriage or marriage with an opposite sex partner. Um, and that's a really actually legitimate thing. Uh, but I think recognizing existentially, it's harder for gay people to get to that point. Um, it's harder for gay people to get to the point where they know that Whereas I think when you're straight, it's a little bit easier. It's like, oh, I'm going to get married, I'm going to stay single and be celibate. I think the other way to support gay people is just to really be an on-fire Christian and really you know, give your whole body to Christ. Be, you know, d- don't be hot or cold. Uh, don't be, sorry, lukewarm or cold, but, but be hot. You know, you know, Jesus says, be hot or cold or I'll speak yeah. out of my mouth. Yeah. There's that element of don't be tepid. Um, because for me, when I'm around tepid Christians, it's the most depressing thing. I prefer to unbelievers than that, you know. <laughs> and I always have this little hashtag, hashtag, I didn't get saved for this, you know. Like, <laughs> there are times, uh, I think that is the problem. Yeah. Um, so for Christians of all kinds, just to follow Jesus together mm. passionately mm. with what mm. we have. Mm. Um, and that doesn't mean we're not going to fail, we're not going to be weak, but that's what our hearts desire. I think for me that is the best thing you can do to help gay people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, then what's next? What's next? Ne- <laughs> um, I mean, you're here in Oxford, obviously studying, doing uh, a PhD. Yeah, the boring answer is I have to get my PhD done. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think what's next for me <laughs> is I really want to enjoy my life. I really want to do what my heart desires. I've had a lot of time kind of preparing, paying private costs for things, getting into a position where I'm safe enough to do this ministry. Um, But I want to get to a place where I'm really flourishing in God and doing, and I think I'm getting there. Mm. And I think Mm. that's exciting. And Mm. I have to wait for the PhD to finish, but hopefully it will be some kind of like academic mixed with a preacher, you know, speaker. yeah. Well, David, um, thank you for your time uh, away from studying for your PhD. <laughs> um, and I just uh, thank you for your honesty and your openness and your real heart for the Lord and what the Lord wants um, for you. And I just want to pray that God uh continues uh, to use you in, a, in an incredible way to bless others in their own journeys of faith you know and um it's been a privilege to have you on the podcast so thank you so much thank you for having me on preset ministries it's been great thank you you've been listening to series six of the bible me podcast by preset ministries if you enjoyed what you heard we would love it if you could leave a rating or review 
For more information on the inductive study method or any of our online resources or downloads, please visit www.precept.org.uk. But until next time, thank you for listening.